Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. Today's teens and young adults are facing unprecedented challenges in an increasingly complex world. The explosion of social media platforms and immersive gaming options have created a new normal that seems unhealthy at best. The legalization and normalization of marijuana use and the easy access to e-cigarettes, alcohol, and other drugs has many parents terrified about the impacts of these substances on the developing brains of their children. Add to that 20 months of isolation, pandemic stress, civil unrest, increased violence, and cultural and political division, and we find ourselves with a cohort of teens and young adults who are suffering from anxiety and depression at alarming rates. On today's Line One, we take a look at the scope of these problems and explore ways that we can help support Alaska's youth as they try to safely navigate these challenging times. Joining me from Volunteers of America, or as uh, most of you probably know it, VOA, are Jackie Wallen, Program Manager for School-Based Services, and Julia Louie, who is the VP of Treatment Service Services and Interim CEO. Welcome to the program. I appreciate you both for taking the time to join me today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. All right. I uh, need to take a second to remind uh, folks that we value listener participation. So if you have a question for my guest uh, or a comment about today's topic, there are three ways that you can connect with us on line one. If you're in the Anchorage area, our phone number is 907-550-8433. I was reminded on the last program that now I think we have to dial 907. Um, so it's 10 digits. Uh, that's 907-550-8433. If you're listening uh, outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. That's 888-353-5752. And the last way to get your questions or comments on the air is to email us at line1. you got to spell it line1, L-I-N-E-O-N-E at alaskapublic.org. We'll do our best to answer your questions and uh, get them on the air. Uh, we may sometimes run out of time. It depends on the number of callers. I will remind folks we get a lot of calls at the end of the show, and it sort of piles up. So um, if you have one that you want to get on, please feel free to reach out early on. Uh, all right. Let's uh, get off and running. We can uh, start with a little bit of um, maybe, uh, Jackie, you can start us off with a little bit about your background and what you do uh, at VOA. Sure. Thanks, Prentice. So my name is Jackie Wallen. I'm the program manager of school-based services. And what that means is I oversee a team of clinicians that are in ASD public schools providing counseling services and support to ASD students during the school day. Um, I have a background. I'm a licensed mental health clinician. I have over 11 years of working as part of a school-based uh, clinical team, initially in the Chicagoland area and now in Anchorage. And I'm excited to be here. All right, great. We're going to get a little bit deeper into the school-based services because that's something that um, I just heard about this year that you all were in there uh, doing that. So I'm curious as to what that is, the history of it. And so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. later. But uh, Julia, can you uh, 
uh, give us a little bit of, about yourself? Sure, yeah. And thank you for having us, Prentice. We're really excited to be here today. Um, well, my name is Julia, and I'm born and raised Alaskan and have been in the behavioral health field now for about 14 years. Um, I have a personal connection to the work that we do and, and first started actually as a night monitor in this beautiful women's and children's residential program and just really quickly fell in love with it and worked my way up from there, moving into more management level positions and obtained my degree in psychology and different certifications um, through NADAC and our um, local commission for behavioral health as a chemical dependency clinical supervisor. And now, as you mentioned, I, I serve as the vice president of treatment services and the interim CEO while we're in this leadership transition here at BOA. I was, I was in the adult sector for most of my career, which was amazing, um, but I wanted to move more upstream um, because I started to see some of the children that I was in that residential program with start coming through um, the adult programs that I was working in. And so that really just kind of lit a fire for me to move more upstream. And that's when I joined VOA and really just fell in love with the youth sector. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things we're gonna want to uh, get to is um, why it's important uh, to get kids involved in some sort of intervention if they're exhibiting these significant, uh, any significant mental health problems mm -hmm. as teens. So that's a, a critical piece that we will get to. Um, all right, so I guess maybe, Julia, you can start us off with uh, VOA, uh, Volunteers of America. You, you see the name over you know, a broad spectrum of services that are provided. So can uh, you're the interim CEO. I guess that's sort of like an interim coach when you don't have one. Somebody steps up to do two jobs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what it sounds like. So can you give us a little bit about sort of the scope of what VOA does and um, maybe who they partner with in the community? Yeah, absolutely. So VOA Alaska has been here in Alaska since the early 80s. Um, and we're a nonprofit resource for the entire family with wraparound services. This has evolved over the years. Um, and where we are today is really kind of staying true to that core purpose of um, that we exist to eliminate suffering for youth. So we offer a range of services in person, in the schools, in the community, and via telehealth to support a full continuum of care for youth and their families. We firmly believe in the right level of care at the right time, and there is no wrong door. So our services range from prevention and early intervention to outpatient, intensive outpatient, we also added a day treatment level of care into our continuum, really out of a response of the um, impacts we were seeing by COVID. We have our school-based program, which I, I wanna kind of turn over for, for Jackie to share some more information about. And then we also have a supportive housing division that kind of has three umbrella services in it, um, really serving a, a special population, what we refer to as transition age youth. Um, youth who are between the ages of 18 to 24 that are just really in kind of that unique period of their life. And we use a couple of different models of transition into independence and um, a housing first model to really meet them where they're at um, and support them in um, achieving the goals that are most important to them. 
We also have a residential program. It's located out in Eagle River. Um, it's called ARCH. And that is, um, that program has been around really since the, the 80s. That was kind of VOA's first um, kind of entrance into the field here. And it's, it's an amazingly beautiful program that serves um, youth with co-occurring disorders. So youth who have um, substance use and mental health challenges um, that needs some structured support around identifying kind of what are those problems that have been fueling the, um, the issues that they're facing in life and teach them coping skills with uh, education and, and recovery team wrapped around them to see them through um, those hardships and, and lead to um, you know, them finding what's important to them and also kind of transitioning them back into the community um, and making sure those structures and supports are in place to see them um, succeed. Yeah, adolescent substance abuse, that's a tough, that's a tough one. I've done work in, in different programs in different parts of the country, and um, it's hard to convince a young person that they have a substance abuse problem at 17, 18, um, because many of the life consequences haven't occurred or, you know, you have that sense of invincibility as a young person and no, it's just, it's something I'll quit later. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, when we yeah. were sort of talking about this program, um, there was a lot of different names being thrown around from, from volunteers of America, because you do so many different things over there that it was kind of like we had to pin down who's the best fit for, for today's uh, show program about a mm -hmm. uh, showgram. That's uh, my COVID brain talking. Um, <laughs> all right. So Jackie, can you, I guess this is a great time. Um, well, for me to actually uh, remind listeners that uh, you are listening to line one, your health connection on Alaska public media. My guests today are Jackie Wallen and Julia Louie from volunteers of America. We are discussing adolescent mental and behavioral health. So if you have a question for us today, our local number is 907-550-8433. You can call us toll free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to get your question on the air is to email us at line1atalaskapublic.org. Okay, Jackie, this is a good time for you to sort of uh, introduce us to what is happening in the schools. What has VOA done? What's the history behind that? And um, and why, like what was the need and how'd you get involved doing that? Yeah, um, so VOA isn't new to schools. We've been partnering with the ASD um, schools for over 10 years now in a variety oh, okay. of different ways. Um, and so we um, started with Prime for Life program and providing that service to students. Um, and then in the last few years, we, we really dove into providing uh, counseling services in the schools. Um, and in the last year, we have really focused in on um, providing a, a larger continuum of support in um, currently six schools with VOA. And then we have additional schools um, that we partner with Providence around. And so what that looks like is each of our partner schools has a full-time clinician housed in the school. So they, you know, most kids probably think they're school employees, um, but they have offices. They provide individual counseling support to students. They're connecting with families and providing support for them. Um, working with teachers 
to help them identify different um, avenues and resources to um, work with their students more effectively. And they're coming alongside school counselors, administrators, um, particularly in terms of um, crisis, mental health crises that students might be having. Um, and so it's, it's a really, it's a really unique program because what we're doing is we are not making families who are going through difficult times um, come to an office, um, find transportation, take time off work, but we're really able to meet kids in the school, um, provide low barriers of entry, easy access to services, and we get to utilize the support system of a school um, and capitalize on other adults that care for these young people too. And so it's it's a really, it's a great program. We're getting a lot of good feedback from the students that we work with in the schools as well. It sounds amazing. Um, is that That's in addition to, I thought that's what like the school social workers did, like the, but it, it sounds a little bit more in depth. Yeah, it's, it's neat because school social workers, school counselors, right. psychologists, um, they have their hands full, right? They are working uh, with IEPs, helping special ed populations. They are doing classroom presentations. They're helping um, students get ready for college and careers. Um, they're doing SEL presentations to kindergartners, right? So they have a lot on their plate and we <laughs> expect a lot of them. Um, and so what we see is we are not coming alongside to replace or to compete with school counselors, but to really provide extra support for them. Um, and we can offer a level of intensity of individual services that school counselors many times don't have the capacity to, to, to offer right. to students. Well, how do, how do kids get identified and, and referred to you? Um, and, you know, if a parent is concerned about their kid, can they reach out and talk to you about that? This is a, a neat resource. It is, yeah. So absolutely, parents, families can make referrals. Um, schools, uh, you know, school administrators, counselors, teachers. We are willing to make or accept referrals from pretty much anyone. And um, we also have, you know, uh, students who will say, "Hey, you help me. My girlfriend has a problem. Can you, you know, talk with her or my best friend?" Or, you know, we really want to make sure that there are no barriers to getting someone referred to our services. Um, and once that happens, then we connect with the student, A, to make sure that they're interested, and then also the family to make sure that they're interested in receiving those services. Um, and so that's really important. We want to not serve the student in isolation, but we want to make sure that, again, we are connecting with their other more natural support systems, um, families, schools, coaches, faith community, whatever makes the most sense. Now, what if uh, what if that kid is receiving services <clears throat> like individual therapy outside? Could you would you partner with them or do you sort of replace that and become their individual therapist in the school? Because that seems like if you're going to do ongoing therapy for 15 kids, you'd be full and not able to do this sort of fluid, you know, jumping in and see kids for a few times. So is it I mean, how does that translate? Right. That's a really good question. So we offer um, not only those individual services, but we offer groups as well. So maybe, for example, if a student was seeing um, an outside therapist for a significant trauma that they experienced and they are having a lot of anxiety as it relates to school. So they might participate in one of our mindfulness groups where they're getting that intensive individual therapy from that outside therapist. 
but because of the group, they're building social support with their peers. They have an adult in the building that they know, hey, this person trusts me or I trust them. I'm connected with them. If I'm having a panic attack, their room's a safe place for me to go, that kind of thing. Um, but we really, you know, you're absolutely right. There are so many kids in our, our schools. We can't provide the individual right. services to all of them. And so partnering with other um, professionals is really important. And quite frankly, there are things that we don't want to provide intensive counseling services around in the middle of the school day. You can't wrap up a session <laughs> uh-huh. and then send it to geometry, right? That's just not in the best interest of the kids. Right. You just talked about some like abuse history or trauma and they're a mess and you send them like, okay, mm-hmm. enjoy guitar. I mean, guitar might be all right, right. but, um, <laughs> and it is nice. Like, cause I have, uh, you know, I work with a lot of teenagers and, I get calls from parents like they had a really bad day at school and, you know, like they had to come home. It would be so like so much of anxiety, especially now post COVID happens Mm -hmm. in the schools with the social stuff and and kids struggle. As you mentioned, it's nice to have a safe place to go and um, like go to Jackie's room and and take a breath Mm -hmm. and and talk. So that's uh, that's really neat. Okay, we're getting kind of we got I could do a whole hour i think on that topic alone um so like we're talking about like 18 um to 24 is sort of a late adolescence we know that uh frontal lobe development um isn't done until until like you know sort of 25 26 uh 24 and somewhere in mid 20s um can we talk can you talk a little bit about how uh you know, the mental health problems that are most often sort of diagnosed in teens. What are you seeing, uh, Jackie, these days as far as like mental health conditions that are that are diagnosed in this age group? What are we seeing? Yeah. So first off, that late adolescence, that 18 to 24, I think it's important just to flag. We often, you know, as a society, we have created 18 is that line of right. before that you're a teenager and you're an adolescent and we'll, you know, kind of put kid gloves on and then you have that 18th birthday and you're a full-fledged adult. And we know just from brain development that the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making, isn't fully formed until about 25, 26. Um, and so that's why VOA takes the, the stance that we do in providing services to those transition youth. Um, In terms of what we're seeing with diagnosis, you know, it's probably not any surprise to the listeners, but anxiety and depression is really high, right? Kids are struggling, adults are struggling. Um, The pandemic has has had a significant impact on the mental health of children and adolescents and adults in Alaska. Um, In addition to that, we're seeing uh, increase in substance misuse. Um, We're seeing OCD tendencies. We're seeing um, a lot of young people who've been exposed to trauma and violence. Um, So working with students around PTSD. Um, So there's all sorts of different issues that we're we're seeing kind of increasing since the pandemic. What kind of uh, numbers are we talking about? Like how many young people might we expect to be diagnosed in a given year or over the course of this 12 to 25, 24 year old um, time frame. like how many young people will be or could be diagnosed with a, a significant mental health condition? Yeah, before pandemic, the estimates were one in six children aged two to eight years old 
had a mental, behavioral, or developmental disorder. So one in six, and that's pre-pandemic. Um, again, pre-pandemic numbers was youth, 7% um, had some sort of anxiety-related disorder, 7% behavioral or conduct disorder, um, and about 3% depression. And um, for special populations, such as the LGBTQ plus community, um, those numbers are significantly higher. 80% of foster youth struggle with mental health issues. Um, and, and all of this can lead to increased numbers of suicide, um, increased opioid use. Um, and so it's, it's really, it's important, again, um, not to toot the school-based counseling program, but it is really important that we think more about early intervention in working with youth and not waiting until we're, we're seeing some of the significant behavioral problems or, or drug use, those kinds of things. Yeah, Julia mentioned uh, moving upstream, and um, that's, that's important because a lot of times we get adults in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s that are seeking out counseling for the first time, and they've been really struggling for a long time. Um, all right, so we're past our, our first break. So for those of you who might be tuning in late, my guests today are Jackie Wallen and Julia Louie from Volunteers of America. Uh, the focus of today's conversation is adolescent mental and behavioral health. If you have a question for my guests or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call. Our Anchorage number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, our toll-free number is 1-888-353-5752. And our email is line1atalaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll continue our conversation about adolescent mental health. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone is excited for the 2021-2022 school year. It's important to prepare for an active year ahead, whether you play competitive sports or just enjoy being active. It's important to make your overall health a priority. So get your COVID-19 vaccine, stay active and involved, check in with friends and family, and bounce back from COVID together and make it a great year. This message sponsored by the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in today, my guests are Jackie Wallen and Julia Louie from Volunteers of America, better known as VOA. Uh, the focus of today's discussion is adolescent mental and behavioral health. If you have a question for us today or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Our email is line1 at alaskapublic.org. You can call us in Anchorage at 907-550-8433, or you can reach us toll-free at 
888-528-5752. Please uh, don't wait until the last uh, 10 minutes to to call in because uh, we have a tendency to get a little bit backed up. I am um, My voice is a little bit raspy today because I had COVID a month ago, and now I have a morphed into a sinus infection. So... Um, and I didn't bring any water in here, but I will uh, will struggle through. Um, all right. So before the break, we uh, went over uh, some of the school-based services and some of the um, st- statistics for uh, mental health problems in, in teenagers and some of the impact that COVID has had. Uh, one thing I want to talk to um, to you all about is like this immersive technology briefly and uh like what we're seeing as far as like pandemic i know in my own household um it's sort of taken on its own energy like a like a wildfire and it was a really cool resource for kids to be able to connect via zoom but you know for a year we had uh kids at home and we really really struggled so is there a is there any hangover effect? Are we seeing parents struggling to get their kids off of these devices? And and what is what are the dangers of immersive uh, technology in these social media platforms today? Um, Jackie, do you want to tackle that or? Yeah, absolutely. So tech is wonderful, right? Um, Very cool. Have, Lots of cool things you can do. Right. We have pivoted in education to utilize more tech. I think that it has been a lifesaver for many, many people. Um, however, there, there are dangers and there's pitfalls. I think one of the, the challenges with tech is oftentimes kids and adults are turning to it to deal with negative emotions, right? They are frustrated, they're overwhelmed, they're sad, um, they're angry, and so they flip out, whip out their phone right, to distract themselves, to kind of get lost into another world. Um, And what that does is that creates um, an inability really to deal with um, negative emotions. And so you're seeing the best of people as well. So you're feeling like you're in a dark place and then you go on some sort of social media platform and you're seeing people that look perfect and their lives look together and you know, they're smiling and they're making cute dances and all of this stuff. And it, it feels like such a, a significant contrast to what you're experiencing in that moment. And so um, kids are, are also feeling like they are getting bullied more. I think it's much easier to say mean things, to share mean things, to yes. spread um, mean things. And so because it feels a little disconnected from the person that you're hurting. Um, I think kids who probably wouldn't be a bully in fourth grade, you know, in class um, are, are, are doing some of this stuff online. And so I think parents really feel lost of how do I draw the boundaries with my kids? What are things that I can do to make sure that my kids are using um, their devices safely? Um, and one of the things that I tell parents and families is one delay. I think we're we're constantly told the lie by kids, and I shouldn't say lie, but they're they're trying to convince us, right, that they should get devices earlier, and everyone has one, and they have to have one. And and so think creatively. Can you push back? Can you delay getting a device for your child? And then when you do, how can we limit what they have access to? Um, so there's all sorts of different um, tech options out there. I, I use one called uh, Protect Young Eyes um, as a parent, but but thinking about how to limit that, how to s- 
demonstrate good boundaries? You know, are you during family dinner, are you whipping out your phone and scrolling through Facebook? Um, put it down, talk to your kid, you know, set some limits as a family, um, be really intentional about talking to them about what they see. You know, as you mentioned in the intro, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the news and in our country over the last 18 months. And so your kids are getting exposed to that on their devices. And so make sure that you're having some conversations with them about that. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned a couple of really, really important points. And one is modeling, um, not being on your own device and yelling at your kids to get off their device. Uh, and and this sort of dissociative nature of these things. You know, I mean, I've worked with kids that can play you know, 12 hours of these immersive games, there is no end to these things. And, you know, Facebook and all this stuff that uh, we're discovering that some, you know, we've known this for a while, but that they're, they set this up to take advantage of like a psychological weakness. And the like button is one of the things that sort of changed society. Um, mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the, this comparing your insides to everybody else's outsides. Um, Although I've talked to quite a few youth recently, and there are a lot of young people that are starting to share a little bit more about their struggles and, and their internal uh, things that are going on. But that can be dangerous, too. Um, so you got to be careful. Uh, I think it's it's really cool that people are you know sharing their experience and connecting that way and sort of destigmatizing some of this uh, mental health um, stuff. But it's also you know, easy to put out too much on too big of a platform. Mm -hmm. So those are the things, the thoughts that you triggered in my mind. But if you go to like the, uh, you know, American, the pediatric, uh, the APA and talk about how much screen time should they get and they say two hours a day, well, they get that at school, you know, and mm -hmm. then <laughs> that's the argument that kids have. And, you know, we've delayed our children um, getting their phones until uh, end of eighth grade year, so as they go into high school. But it really is middle school. Um, it re it's almost true that almost everybody has one, you know, by middle school, mm -hmm. and that is a hard thing to do when everybody else is connecting and your kids are saying, "But I'm missing out on everything." Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a uh, probably another topic, for, you know, that we could um, talk about for two or three shows. Uh, if we wanted to. Okay, so let's move on um, from that, I think. But the take-home points there are modeling, set some limits, have some agreements with kids um, about that, and don't be reactive, right? Don't just yell and tell them to get off, um, which I do a lot of at home. But um, So I'm going to go home and apply some of this stuff to myself and my own house. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about substance use. And uh, Julia, do you want to sort of take this one on. Um, yeah. What are the substances that we're seeing uh, kids using today? It sort of morphs. There's different things that come and go. Cigarettes aren't cool anymore. Uh, marijuana has replaced alcohol, um, in my experience, as the number one sort of thing that kids are, are using. Um, and there's a lot of normalization and acceptance of that. So can you talk about some of the substances that are being used, what we're seeing in the community, and, um, and what some of those risks are of early, early exposure? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Our um, number one substance that we see here at BOA is cannabis use disorder. Um, and so that um, our Prime for Life um, class that we provide in partnership with the Anchorage School District, um, those referrals went through the roof this last year. Um, we definitely saw an increase of, um, of marijuana use and we're starting to see um, an increase in more dangerous drugs of prescription misuse, um, heroin, um, methamphetamine, um, and sometimes the prescription misuse too, sometimes are prescribed medications to the youth themselves or it's to their parents or um, they're getting it, they're getting it somewhere. Um, so we're kind of seeing a, a combination of um, concerning substances um, increased, especially since COVID. All right. I have a lot of parents to say, well, uh, all the kids are experimenting and I experimented. And, you know, there is some truth that adolescents will seek out um, experimentation and recreational use, uh, you know, among their peers or with their peers. But what makes something a, uh, you, you said marijuana uh, misuse disorder, what makes, mm -hmm. what, what, qualifies it or moves it from experimentation and recreational use into disordered use? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think it's gotten a lot muddier since the legalization of marijuana and that a lot um, of parents and adults are using it and, and support it. Um, and, and while that's legal and okay, um, that really kind of sets kind of the stage for adolescents for them to be pretty confused about what's acceptable and, and not acceptable. And so I think just even that confusion alone really warrants a, a conversation between parents and kids about what's acceptable in their home. Um, but to kind of um, speak to your question about like what's normal and then what is kind of that kind of red line into, you know, this is actually a, a real problem here. Um, it is normal to have some healthy, some experimentation in um, substance use. And I think that's, you know, we're seeing that. We're seeing kids vaping. We're seeing kids smoking weed or drinking. Um, when that crosses the line of their ability to function in their daily roles, in their tasks, finding pleasure in the things that they've always kind of found pleasure in, um, that really is kind of an indicator of, of, of a conversation needing to be had um, about what's going on. And those can be really difficult conversations if a youth is really starting to find themselves entrenched in substance misuse and into starting to move into that dependence factor, you're going to see kids who are probably pretty angry and don't want to talk to you and and really try their hardest to push you away. And when you see those behaviors, sometimes as parents, we want to react. And that's really the moments where we have to lean in, even when it's really hard and the behaviors that we're seeing are really scary um, and find opportunities to have meaningful conversations to find out at the core what's feeding this, what's going on, and how can we work together to find a solution that's that's going to help them? Um, yeah, whenever I have a parent come to me that says uh, little Johnny is angry and his grades have tanked this year, um, he's got this new group of friends that I don't really know, he doesn't want to hang out with us, he sleeps all the time, 
I say, how much uh, pot is little Johnny smoking? I mean, that that's my first question. And oftentimes I hear, oh, none, or every now and then, um, parents know about you know ten to fifteen percent of the truth typically about what their yeah. kid's doing, and most parents certainly it's hard to accept that your kid is is smoking weed every single day, all day, like before school. But uh, the signs are really really clear, and I see it over and over again in my practice is is young men and women. It's a lot of the boys seem to just sort of check out and. Um, just drop off the radar as far as school. They drop sports that they've played their whole life. Now they're skateboarding or just kind of, I'm like, what do you do for sports? And like, oh, we chill and ride around. Um, and that's always a, a red flag for me. Um, so that's, I mean, there's this misnomer that marijuana is not addictive. Um, I hear that all the time. It's natural. Uh, can you speak to that, Julia, about the, the, why that is out there and um, why it's not true? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think it has really morphed into being something that is socially acceptable. And now we've gone through the legalization of marijuana, marijuana. And in some cases where that might, you know, recreational use might not impact someone's functioning or the quality of their life or their major roles, um, we're definitely seeing the impact that it is having on youth as they are in this really um, unique de developmental phase and how that's contributing to their development into an adult and how they want to lead their lives. And so, you know, there is some research starting to come out around, you know, the increase in marijuana use within the adolescent population is there a connection somewhere between the increases that we are seeing in youth suicide and youth contemplating suicide? Right. You know, I think the, the, the legalization of marijuana and the potency of marijuana is completely different than the generation of adults thinking that it's okay. We're kind of dealing with something different than even when we were kids, and I, I feel super old even saying that, <laughs> um, because I feel like our parents were saying that, you know, 10 years ago, but there's some truth to that. It, it has morphed into something that is, um, that is, is dangerous. Well, yeah, these, uh, I mean, you just dated yourself to 10 years, but I'll date myself even more. Like <laughs> I'm looking at you and back when you were a kid, right? That was just recently. Um, I was, you know, I'm 55. <laughs> and so the, the marijuana that, that was around then was, you know, what, eight, yeah. 9% THC. And now it's 24 to 29 and you can get shatter and um, all mm -hmm. the, these like sort of crystallized marijuana compounds that are 80 to 90% THC, which is an insane thing to think about. Um, and marijuana is also stored in the fat cells and leached out slowly over time, which is why you don't see the withdrawal, the physical withdrawal stuff that's going on like you do with alcohol or, you know, cocaine or some of those, those other drugs. All right. Um, we have a phone call. I think I'll try to get the phone call in before... Um, before the our last break, and uh, Kristen, you are on line one. Go ahead. You have a question or a comment for us? Uh, yes. Uh, the, um, I was going <clears> to <throat> mention uh, the gang problem in Alaska. 
I mean, a lot of the personality changes you see among young people isn't just uh, from interacting on the computer. Uh, Alaska has a very bad gang problem going on. And like always with problems in Alaska, it's being pretty much uh, just put under the rug. It's just being swept away. They're, they don't even want to admit that it exists because if you admit something exists, then you're expected to work to do something about it. Um, as opposed to the marijuana, alcohol, and other things, well, they're not supposed to be using it anyway. Oh, you're, you have to be 21. So who's giving it to them? They need to find out who these people are, arrest them, you know, for uh, delinquency to a minor. They need to find out the young people, how they're getting it, put them into treatment programs because, and do what we did with cigarettes and alcohol for the most part, just keep telling them, this is bad, this is bad, don't do this. And not just say, well, you know, and that seemed to work. I mean, it took 30, 40 years right. to get a lot of people off cigarettes, but it does eventually work. And also, the state of Alaska, along with the rest of the United States, we've got to set uh, uh, laws. We can't say that you can't do this unless you're 21. But if you're 12 or 13 and you do this terrible thing, like you shoot somebody or stab somebody or you tie a person to a fence post and torture them to death, well, then you're an adult. All right. Uh, Not sure what happened. Um, All right, Kristen, you make some good points, and we'll come back, and I will ask Jackie about what she hears in the schools about um, some of the gang stuff, but because that's something that um, I have dealt with uh, in my practice. So, uh, but before that, we're going to take a short break. If you're just joining us, my guests today are Jackie Wallen and Julia Louie from Volunteers of America. The focus of our discussion is adolescent mental and behavioral health. If you have a question for my guests or a comment about today's topic, please don't hesitate to give us a call or send us an email. Anchorage number 550, well, you got to dial 907 now, 907 550 Toll free number is 1 888 353 5752, and our email is line1 at After this short break, we'll continue our conversation about adolescent mental health. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. Line One, your health connection comes to you from Alaska Public Media and is made possible with support from Providence Imaging Center, serving Alaskans since 1986. Open Monday through Saturday. Appointments welcome. Learn more at provimaging.com. The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in, my guests are Jackie Wallen and Julia Louie, who are joining me from Volunteers of America, otherwise known as VOA. The focus of today's conversation is adolescent mental and behavioral health. If you have a question for us or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call in the next 10 minutes or so. Our Anchorage number is 
1-888-353-8433. You can reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to participate is by emailing your questions to line1 at alaskapublic.org. Okay, uh, our caller, uh, Kristen, had some um, interesting points about legalization. I can tell you where they're getting it. They're getting it from their big brothers, their parents, their, you know, like the illegal grow operations, the same places they're always getting it. They're buying it on the street. They have friends who are 21, um, a lot of these younger kids. And, um, yeah, I had a kid tell me the other day they just paid a homeless person, you know, 20 bucks to go buy them you know, a quarter bag, uh, you know, an ounce or whatever at the store and um, or gave them drugs. So it's it is not hard to find this stuff. And as far as the opioids, a lot of those are getting taken out of parents uh, cabinets um, or, you know, and then the opioid problem is once you run out of the pills, then the only other thing is the street stuff. Um, and there's lots of places it's accessible. Uh, we need to talk to our kids. And she did make a good point about cigarettes and alcohol, this sort of like constant pressure of the negativity, um, you know, and the, the health problems is sort of like cigarettes aren't cool. Um, and alcohol is like sort of not a cool thing either anymore as much. But um, it's interesting. The cigarette dropped off when vaping became the thing. Right. And so and then alcohol dropped off when marijuana became the thing. Our adolescent minds seek out novelty. They seek out pleasure. They seek out this sort of like experience. And that's normal. But as Julia pointed out really well, once it starts interfering with your friendships, your family life, your social activities, your sports, the things like once your kid looks like their joy is gone, it's really time to find some help. Um, so, Jackie, what do you know about uh, the gang situation? You, I'm, I'm sure you talked to the police officers at the school. Um, what's the uh, latest? You know, I have heard about it here and there, but we don't think of Anchorage as like uh, Chicago, Atlanta, L.A., um, where there's really dangerous people. But a lot of there have been some reports of gang members coming up here and sort of starting you know, their parents moving them out of L.A. because they're worried about the gangs, and then they start them here. So um, what do you hear, Jackie? Is that a problem, or is that something that's sort of like posers, <laughs> for lack of a better term? <laughs> I like how you said that. Um, first of all, I think that it's, it. you know, if a, if a kid is representing, if a kid is claiming to be in a gang, we need to take them seriously. Um, because their actions can have pretty significant consequences. I think looking at a young person who is repping a gang or whatever, um, and just kind of viewing them through that is, is problematic because oftentimes gang behavior, just like substance misuse, is, is actually a symptom of something going on. So when I've spent a lot of time working with gang-involved youth and and those youth often have experienced significant amounts of trauma um, and they are looking for a place of connection and safety. And mm -hmm. so they turn, oftentimes their families are not able to provide them the support and structure that they need. So they're looking for a place of belonging. Um, and so the gangs often 
you know, provide that for them. And then they do some stupid stuff that then makes them regret it. So then they smoke or they, they drink or they, they do other things um, to numb themselves. And so I think that that's the more important discussion is how do we, how do we meet the needs, meet their mental health needs, meet the trauma needs that they have um, so that we prevent and, and deter the, the criminal behavior of gang involvement. I think that's a really good point because gangs are about connection and about acceptance and about love. And if you're not getting that at home for whatever reason, maybe dad's, you know, maybe a parent's died and, and one parent has to work all the time. So it's not necessarily a, you know, a slight on parenting. Um, sometimes it's just situational. Um, but mm -hmm. that really was, that's about how to, why are kids feeling so disconnected? Right. And that's, I think what we got to start figuring out. All right. We got, do have a couple calls that are coming in. So, uh, Chuck's in the Valley, you've been on hold here for five minutes. Thanks for your patience. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, I kind of had a little bit of an interesting perspective. Um, so I actually grew up in a household back in the 90s that was actively part of the GROW operation and stuff out in the Valley. And I'm, I'm just curious, with this, this new regulation of pot, and by the way, I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of it, but right. I'm one of the few that kind of came out that didn't get into that program. But um, do we find that uh, independent grow operations are becoming less profitable or is the regulation actually helping in any capacity with um, everything that's going on? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, Julie, did you have anything off the top of your head what you know? Like, is it, are the grow oper operations sort of the family ones sort of dwindling now that legalization has taken over or is that still available and there's still a black market? Um, I know that there's still a black market out there, um, but I, I couldn't say for sure exactly what um, is happening there to, to his point. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I would imagine it has some impact, but there's always, mm -hmm. there's always uh, room for, you know, for kids to, to find their local, you know, guy who grows it in his basement. Um, yeah. That's uh, my understanding. All right. And John, you're in Anchorage. You're on line one. Go ahead. You have a question about uh, youth addiction and resources. Um, yes. Uh, I, I just had two things to say. Uh, one is I, I have a lot of experience with kids in trouble um, with the legal system in Anchorage and all across the state. And I would really like to see the true evidence of um, uh, any sort of serious gang activity up here. Um, I understand and I agree with what you guys just talked about with that it's usually when kids talk about being in gangs, it's usually a symbol of other things and, and a lot of that I agree with is connections. But I, I've never ever seen in like many years of doing this um, uh, a, a lot of true gang activity compared to um, other cities in the lower 48. So I would want to see the evidence. It's, it's almost, I almost hesitate mentioning it on the air because it's like a red herring. Right. It's like if you talk about it a lot, then people, and, and that, that's, that's what I see. A lot of kids talk about it a lot, but there's a whole difference between um, kids who talk about it and the kids who are actually in the gangs. In fact, the couple kids I've had represented that were in gangs don't talk about it. <laughs> and, right. And because it's such a serious thing. And, and, uh, and so I, I just, before we, give that any sort of attention or resources, I really would like to see the evidence that, that that's a real issue up here. But what is a real issue, which is what you started, is 
the lack of, um, of uh, treatment, both inpatient and outpatient, for Alaskan children in Alaska. Um, I think there's a total of like seven residential facilities for the entire state. Um, and the ARCH program run by VOA is one of them. Um, but we have, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this again for a number of years. We just see the resources dwindle, dwindle, dwindle. For whatever, um, we're, we're lucky to live in a pretty rich state, and I just wish, wish more of that would go to um, helping kids uh, get, uh, the, you know, the treatment they need, and especially outpatient treatment because, um, because we all know that the dangers of inpatient treatment are that they learn bad habits from other people who are in worse trouble than themselves. Um, and that's, I think that's all I have. Um, <clears throat> those are some great points. And I, I moved here in 1995 and worked at LifeQuest out in the Valley uh, with the Alaska Youth Initiative Program, which was designed to keep kids in state. Uh, but we've been having this discussion since 95. Um, about yeah. the lack of resources. So, Julia, you want to address that, and and is there hope on the horizon for more options? Yeah, I I think by continuing to have the discussion and you know really kind of rallying the people who are seeing the need um, is really important to have those conversations with our legislatures and people who are in charge of funding so that they can hear our stories and our testimonies to really be able to support programs that are moving more upstream. Um, we're with you in that. We, we absolutely see the increased need and, and lack of resources in our state. Um, over the last couple of years, we've seen an increase in 91% in calls for our services, really meaning that more parents, teachers, caseworkers, wow. they're reaching out in response to the needs of young people in their lives. And so just for our residential program alone, um, our, our, our calls for service, they almost doubled. And that in paired with the um, increases in acuity that our hospitals were also seeing during the pandemic really um, influenced our decision to pivot and start providing a day treatment level of care. And so day treatment is a kind of a bridge between an outpatient level of care and a residential level of care. And this program really still in its infancy stage was really designed designed to um, really try to support kids that are in safe and supportive living environments who might, if this level of care wasn't available, would meet the thresholds for residential. Um, but we don't wanna send kids to residential if, if right. we don't need to. <laughs> Um, we want to keep them at home. We want to keep them with their families. We want to keep them with their support networks. And so, you know, out of a response for the acuity that we were seeing and the increase in calls, we've added this level of care to to meet that growing need. Is that uh, would that be equivalent to an IOP program or an intensive outpatient program? It's higher. And we have outpatient, we have intensive outpatient and then day treatment. The kids are here from about eight o'clock in the morning until sometimes seven o'clock at night. So they are here um, over 20 hours a week. And during the school year, we also provide in partnership with the Anchorage School District, um, the education component of their program. And so what we also saw was, you know, kids would do really well in our residential program. But then when, we, they, when they would transition back into the community, it was like they were in whiplash, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, I go back to school and I've got to go to outpatient for aftercare. And it's just too much change at once. 
So, you know, adding this level of care, the kids can transition and still do school um, through ASD special schools and then, you know, transition back home and kind of rebuild their support network and then take the next step into IOP and transitioning back into their home school. And then on the flip side, those who are really struggling in school and IOP intensive outpatient is not meeting their needs, then this gives us another level of intervention to try before we, we go the residential route. If a parent is concerned about their child <clears throat> substance abuse or <clears throat> excuse me, severe behavioral problems, um, what is their first step in like 45 seconds? Yeah, I mean, please go to our website. Um, we have done a lot of work in increasing access to care. You can give us a call at 907-265-1916. Um, and you can um, just give us a call, email us. Um, and we also have a an open family support group that um, occurs here at our Cordova office every Wednesday from 5.30 to 6.30. And so if parents just want some, some support and um, talk with other parents who are going through the same struggles, we, we invite them to come. Yeah, to talk with other parents, ask your pediatrician, um, and, and reach out and get some help. Uh, I think those are important. So, um, yeah, Jackie, you have uh, give us uh, your final thoughts or um, parting thoughts for today. What what would you like to parents to take away from this? I would just like them to know that they are the number one resource to their kids, right? So they can model healthy coping. They can talk about challenges and normalize the ups and downs of life. Um, open the levels or channels of communication with your kids. Uh, talk to them at the grocery store, take them for a walk, have family dinner times, um, schedule rhythms, family rhythms of communication and connection. That's what your kids need. And that will not only help prevent a lot of issues, but then it'll also help with the intervention. When things come up, when they face challenges, you'll already have that relationship. They'll be used to talking to you and they'll, they'll open up. All right. Well, my thanks to you both. I appreciate you both coming on the show and taking the time out of your day to join us. That was fun. All right. Uh, please check out the variety of links. Uh, go to VOA. Um, search that out on your and, and our page has a lot of these resources available. Um, so check those out and you can let us know your thoughts about uh, future programs on line one alaskapublic.org line one will be taking a break for the holidays uh, so we'll have some alternate programming my thanks to Adeline Baxter I'm Prentice Pemberton have a great day Alaska line one is a production of Alaska Public Media which is solely responsible for its content views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media this station or its underwriters learn more about line one and listen online at alaskapublic.org this is Alaska Public Media